There we go. Praise the Lord. All right, guys, let's go ahead and make our way to the sanctuary here. We are going to get started. Who's grateful to be in the house of the Lord on Wednesday night? I know Raymond is, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. Well, we're going to have an awesome time. I know the weather outside is kind of frightful, but we are going to be having a good time in the presence of the Lord tonight. Amen. I, I love it. All right. Let's stand up together and we are going to open up by speaking some faith over the United States of America. And we're going to keep speaking it and we're going to see the breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's say this together. Father, we come to you in Jesus name. And in unity, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over the United States of America. We declare that righteousness, mercy, justice, and judgment from you shall prevail. We declare that America will complete her God-given mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We push back the darkness of Satan from this nation and call for the light of Jesus Christ to invade the media and every home, church, and school and every town, city, and state of this great nation, the United States of America, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's give the Lord some praise, and you may be seated. Very, very good. All right, well, we got a few announcements here to go over. Uh, first of all, I want to remind you that Pastor and Mrs. Pastor are in Indiana still. They'll probably be there a couple more weeks, and I think that my sister is going to have her baby this week, so praise the Lord for that. Going to... Uh, She's going to add another girl to the Samples family, uh, which is good news because, you know, we have nothing but boys almost. But praise God. Uh, we're just excited about that. So thank you, Lord. All right. Well, this coming Sunday is Baptism Sunday. All right. Baptism Sunday. And uh, let's see. We've got nine people signed up, but I'll bet that there's a couple more people that need baptized. So uh, we're going to be doing them Sunday morning and Sunday night. Uh, so go ahead and sign up, and if you get signed up, um, our office will contact you um, probably Friday or Saturday and give you the details that you need. Uh, but again, we're going to be doing it Sunday morning and Sunday night, so don't miss out on this opportunity. And you know, being baptized is not what gets you to heaven, but it is a very important thing for you to do to make a public declaration of your faith. Jesus himself was baptized. And so if Jesus found it to be important, then I find it to be important, right? So uh, let's make sure if you haven't been baptized to get signed up for that. Also, uh, the youth group is uh, getting ready to take their trip. Uh, their summer trip is going to be July 10th through the 13th. And they're going to St. George, Utah once again. And uh, they're going to have a really, really awesome time. And these teens, man, back when I did summer camp, listen, we were out in the woods in a tent. These guys are going to a resort, all right, with a lazy river and like a, you know, all-you-can-eat food. It, it's ridiculous. But, hey, praise God. Our God is a good God, and uh, we want them to be blessed, all right? So, uh, anyway, it's going to be the 10th through the 13th of July. And after each service, until then, they're doing fundraisers. Usually it'll be outside, but tonight the weather kind of got us, so it's, it's back there by the front door. But uh, they're selling popsicles and ice cream on Sundays, and I think tonight they've got pizza all right so if you didn't eat dinner hey we will give you the bread of life am i right all right then we'll give you the bread of domino's pizza right after service so grab some now this bread is free that bread's two dollars so you you know you take your choice either way it's going to help somebody out and then finally um last thing i'm going to say tonight is membership class is going to be sunday july 17th from 4 to 7 p.m yes 
and we got lots of people that want to get through membership class. We will have a sign-up sheet out for that here in the next few days. You can get signed up for it. Now, it's important uh, that if you're going to be serving in the church, which you should be because we're all called to serve in some way in God's house, but you do need to go through membership class as soon as you can. So go ahead and sign up and get through membership class. And hey, it's worth your time. Who's been through membership class? Okay. Some of you went through it back in the day when it was four weeks long for two or three hours a time. We have condensed it and uh, made it a one-night thing, all right? Yeah, three hours of nonstop fun and laughter. Well, maybe not, but also it's a great time. You learn about the, the Bible, learn about our church, and, of course, you do get free food. So it's a really awesome time, amen? Um, anyway, but membership class is coming up. We want you to take advantage of that, all right? Well, who knows what time it is now? Yes, it is happy time. If you need an envelope, raise your hand, and the ushers will uh, get you an envelope there. And if you're giving online, you can go to hdwc.org giving. We're going to open our Bibles to Proverbs 27 tonight. Can we go there? Proverbs 27. Now, hey, I'm going to do something interesting here. I'm gonna, this is probably not one of your our typical uh, tithes and offerings verses, but... This is something the Lord's really been laying on my heart, and I think that um, I may just preach on this sometime soon. But anyway, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12, I'm in the NLT, Proverbs 27, 12, in the NLT. Now, uh, I, you got to listen to this verse. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of wisdom right here. It says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. In other words, they ignore the red flags that are being waved in front of them. And it's just something that's really uh, been on my heart to, to share and, and like I said, maybe preach on sometime is this, is that there's a lot of red flags right now in our world and in our economy. And, and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not an economist. I don't, certainly don't know much about that. But I do know that when, when you see some warning flags you're a fool if you don't take precautions. And so, and, you know, in my life, I feel the Lord warning me about the months ahead that there could be recession. There could be some things coming down the pike. And praise God, God supplies all my needs, so I'm not living in fear. But I'm also telling us as Christians, it may not be a time to just wildly go about throwing money in the air and being wasteful and foolish and silly with our money. And so it's something that I'm teaching my kids about, you know, every time we go out the door, they, hey, can we go to Del Taco? Hey, can we go to Dutch Brothers? Hey, can we go spend this? Can we? I'm like, hey, that's fun stuff. But if something gets serious, I'm going to be real upset if I wasted all my money on iced coffee six months ago, right? And so all I'm doing is a prudent person, they foresee danger. That doesn't mean they live in fear, but they foresee danger and take precautions. So while that I would encourage any smart Christian to take some precautions right now, I do know this much. I will not cut back on my tithing and on my giving. That is my lifeline to economic success. Do you hear me on that? Do you understand that? I am, I'm getting some blank stares like nothing's going on behind the eyes there, all right? So listen to me. Listen to me. You know, we don't live in fear, but we do know this much that, hey, we should be smart with our finances, especially when there's some red flags being waved. But at the same time, the smartest thing we can do 
is keep our tithe where it needs to belong, right? And also keep some heart, keep some seed planted. So one more verse for you, Galatians 6 and verse 7. Can we flip there? Galatians 6 and verse 7. Amen. Yeah. I promise you we are going to have a really good time in the Word tonight. I'm super excited about our summer in the Psalms. Who's been enjoying summer in the Psalms? All right, so have I. So Galatians 6, and we're going to look here at verse 7, and this tells us something very important that you have heard before. I know you've heard it, but you need to remember it. Galatians chapter 6, and verse 7, it says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You know, the King James says, God is not mocked. And so, question for you, is it possible for you to mock the justice of God and pull one over on him? No, you can't pull one over on God. You can't you can't beat the system. You can't get but no, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant or you will always reap what you sow. And so we a lot of times we get excited like, man, harvest. Well, that is a good verse. That's a really good verse. But you don't have harvest if you don't plant any seed. And so I know that for my family, as for me and my house, what I'm doing is I'm keeping seed planted in every area I can because when it's time for harvest, when I need a harvest financially or in any other area, I'm going to have some seed in the ground to call that harvest in. The farmer, and I, I know a lot of farmers, I grew up in farmland and my brothers are farmers, but you can't go out there to the cornfield in October and say, well, I can't wait for this harvest. Lord, bring in the harvest. If you didn't plant the seeds way back in the springtime, you've got to plant seeds if you want a harvest. And so uh, what I'm doing tonight is I'm encouraging you that even though people would be like, oh, it's getting scary out there. What I'm telling you is it's really good news if you're a tither and if you've been planting seeds you've got seed in the ground that's good news for you because you are not going to mock the justice of God you will reap what you sow somebody say that with me you will reap what you sow give the Lord some praise together tonight come on all right let's stand up we are going to speak some words of faith over our tithes and our offerings because everything we do is by faith. I wake up in the morning by faith. I go to bed by faith. I give my tithe by faith. Amen. Let's go ahead and speak this out together. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth and business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously in the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go. Okay, join us up here at the altar, and let's... Let the Lord inhabit our praises. He's in our praise. Our praise becomes your house, your place. Our praise becomes your house, 
excited about getting into the Word together this evening. Uh, as we, uh, uh, If you've been following along on some of these Wednesday nights, uh, we are doing a summer in the Psalms, and uh, what we're doing is just going to different chapters in the Psalms each week, and uh, that's real easy for me to do because I flat out love the book of Psalms. It's one of my favorite uh, books in the Bible. I, I can pretty much say without any contradiction that I read from the Psalms every single day. Now, I, uh, it's very important that we, uh, you know, read from the New Testament also, uh, especially the epistles. That's very, very important. That's the most pointed uh, writing to you of all, even though all scripture is perfect and wonderful and super important for you to read. Uh, but the Psalms is uh, an incredible book. And just a little bit of a, a review here. It's the, the biggest book in the Bible, right? 150 chapters. Jesus quoted from Psalms more than any of the other uh, Old Testament books. And it also, as we'll see in one of our verses tonight, there are several messianic prophecies about Jesus in the book of Psalms. And what's a messianic prophecy? It's an Old Testament uh, prophecy that tells us about Jesus before he was ever born to the Virgin Mary. And so we're going to see one of those uh, prophecies tonight. And uh, what we're going to do tonight, um, so far we've looked at Psalm 1, we've looked at Psalm 18, which was a real winner, and we've also looked last week at the 23rd Psalm. This week we're going to be in Psalms 15 and 16, and uh, I was going to go a different direction, but then uh, these just really, uh, you know, just today, uh, really caught my attention again. And, um, and so I'm going to go through these, and we're going to do an expository tonight on these two chapters. So that means we're going to read every verse in both of these chapters and break them down a little bit. And, uh, and so I, I love really studying some of these things out. And as we look through these, the main theme of these two chapters, all right, you put them together, is living in the presence of God. 
And that makes me really happy about the songs we just sang because we were talking about being in the presence of God. And we just were saying, you inhabit the praises of your people. And, uh, and that's an important thing for us to realize that when we praise God, that invites his presence into our life. And we'll probably study that further uh, on in our, uh, our study of the book of Psalms. But tonight, what we're going to be doing is looking at uh, all of these verses right here. And it may look like kind of a buffet. Is there anybody in here that you just, you appreciate a good buffet? Men, come on. Yeah, I've ate with some of you. Yeah, all right. Uh, yeah, I know you do. You love buffets. And what's one of the beautiful things about buffets? Well, one, you get all you can eat. But the second thing about a wonderful buffet is there's such a variety. And it doesn't matter at a buffet. You can't be judged if you've got pizza on the same plate as a taco. No one's allowed to judge you because it just it all goes together that night. And so as we uh, look at these couple of chapters, it's going to be like, man, this is a wide variety of topics all at once. Well, really, it all ties in to the main theme about living in the presence of God. And I tell you tonight, I tell you the truth tonight, that you need to be living your life in the presence of God, in the secret place of the Most High, as Psalm 91 says it, because in his presence is protection. For you and your entire family, your children, your mama, your papa, your uncle, your aunt, the dog, he will protect you in his presence. And also, I mean, in his presence, as we'll also see tonight, is the fullness of joy. You need the presence of God in your life. And, and the, the fact of the matter is this, is that not everybody that's a Christian really has the fully functioning presence of God in their life. Now, you may have your ticket to heaven, and you may have tasted and seen a little bit that the Lord is good, but God's will is that you would live your day-by-day -day life surrounded by his presence and in his anointing and able to just bust through any obstacle that comes your way. And I know this much, not every Christian is living their daily life surrounded by the presence of God. It's, it's quite apparent. And so I'm not here to judge that. I'm here to say, hey, wouldn't it be awesome to have the presence of God every single day surrounding you on every side, giving you the peace and the joy that you need to get through anything that comes at you, all right? And so what we're doing as we look at these two chapters is it's going to show us things that we can do to welcome in the presence of God. And there's also going to be a lot of things that especially Psalm 15 tells us would actually push God's presence out of our lives. And I don't want to do that. I want God's presence in my life. And so my, uh, my caveat before we get into it is apply these scriptures to your life, not somebody else's life, right? Because every time I do something like this, everyone's like, man, I know my husband should have heard this one tonight. This is all about him. I'm not preaching to your husband. I'm preaching to you. Oh, I tell you what, who needed to hear this, but they aren't even in the service tonight. I'm preaching to you, not to somebody else. So apply to yourself. The medicine, man, if you've got a problem, it doesn't do you any good to rub the ointment on somebody else. You need it on you, amen? And so apply the Bible to you, not to everybody else, all right? So let's pray and open our Bibles to Psalm 15. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord that we get to study your word tonight, that we get to be in your presence. And Lord, we're going to study that out and see what all that means, Father. But I thank you that you're speaking to us and you are challenging us 
to be more and more like you. And, Father, we thank you that we have your promise in your word that you would never leave us or forsake us. And so we thank you that we're standing on that in Jesus' name. Can someone say amen? All right, are you in Psalm 15? You should have found it by now. I gave you like a 10-minute intro. All right, here we go. Psalm 15, and uh, let's start off at verse 1 here. It's a short chapter, but Psalm 15, verse 1, it says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? And so I'm like, man, hey, I, I want to worship in the sanctuary. I want to enter, what's that keyword there? His presence. And so everything that we read for the rest of this chapter is talking about being able to enter in to the presence of God. Now, we get it that this is written before the New Covenant, so we will keep that in mind as we study this. Uh, we know that according to Hebrews 4.16, that yes, as a New Testament Christian, we can come boldly to the throne of grace when we need it. Now, back, you know, back in the Old Testament, you didn't get to boldly go to the throne of grace when you needed it. You had to go to the priest and he had to atone for your sins and all this stuff. So, yeah, we get that, that you as a new covenant, New Testament Christian can go boldly to the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus. Not because you're so good, but because Jesus is so good. All right. But as we study this. We also know that there are things we can do to keep the anointing of God from operating in our lives. Have you seen that, right? That, that there are things we can do to kind of push away the presence of God, the anointing of God from doing all that it needs to do in our lives. And so that's what most of the rest of this chapter is going to point out to us, all right? And so let's go ahead and uh, and look here at verses 2 through 3, all right? David says, Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts, those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. So what is all that talking about? Well, if you looked at the intro, verse 1, it's talking about people that can enter the presence of God. It's those who live blameless lives. They do what's right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. So what is a blameless life? Does that mean you're perfect and you don't ever do anything wrong? Well, if that's the case, then I am in big trouble because I have done a lot of wrong things, right? A lot of stupid things, a lot of not holy things. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one, but we're not going to ask for a show of hands tonight. But I, I feel that all of us could probably raise our hands and say, we have not lived a perfect, blameless life. Now, what does this mean? Well, I believe the King James says that the, the upright man, somebody that lives an upright life, a holy life. And so while we may not live a perfect, sinless life, we should be living a holy life. Now, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I am righteous. And it's not because I have been so good and I've, you know, washed my sins away with my own goodness. I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm righteous, not because I'm self-righteous. I'm righteous because of Jesus. Jesus made me righteous, but when it comes to holiness, that's up to me. I have to choose to
to live a holy life. What's a holy life? Holy means set apart. That means I don't live like everybody else in this world. They go and do things that they may think is totally fine, but if I'm going to live an upright life, a blameless life, a holy life, I'm going to have to say, hey, you know what? Hey, not judging you. That's for you. Uh, My family's not going to do that. We're not going to watch that. And yeah, guess what? You're going to get made fun of if you live a holy life. Absolutely. You will get made fun of. You will get called names. You will get gossiped about. And that's a-okay because I want to be able to get into the presence of God every day of my life. And I don't need to spend the whole morning having to repent for, oh, God, I shouldn't have watched that last night. Oh, God, I shouldn't have drank that last night. Oh, God, I shouldn't. No. We're talking about living a holy life. And so right here, uh, being blameless doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean upright and it does mean holy. You will never live a perfect life, but you can live a holy life. Thank you. All right. And so praise God. That's good stuff. All right. And uh, and also well, another thing that it says here is speaking the truth. You cannot be a liar and expect God's presence in your life. Now, lying is not something we talk about too often because it seems like such an elementary level thing. But you cannot be a liar and expect to be a powerhouse for Jesus laying hands on the sick. And not, no, no, no. You can't live a, a, a life of lies. And also, I, I find it interesting that it says speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Because some people are like, yeah, I speak the truth, blah. And they just, yeah, they, they blast the cold hard truth out there. And praise God, the truth is wonderful. But when we speak the truth from an angle of wanting to help people, not just wanting to blast them for their wrongs, that's a better way to handle the truth, isn't it? And I believe that's what the scripture tells us. In fact, in um, Ephesians 4.15, it tells us to speak the truth in love. And so some people are like, I don't know why everyone hates me. I I just tell the truth all the time. Well, that's a good thing. Tell the truth. But how about you speak the truth in love? There's a big difference. Amen. And so it's talking about uh, uh, those who speak the truth from sincere hearts. And also it tells us um, uh, that another thing that would keep the presence of God out of our life is gossip. And so if you want God's presence, refuse to gossip or harm your neighbors or speak evil of your friends. Hey, that's a big deal. And again, not something we talk about too often, but that will cripple your faith and it will keep you out of the presence of God. Gossip is a terrible sin, and it will bite you in the rear end. I made that up myself. Thank you. Yes, I I thought about maybe forming that into a song somewhere. Alex, give me a beat later on. We're going to put something to that, okay? So gossip's a terrible sin, and it will bite you in the rear end. Let's look at verse 4, all right? Uh, Talking about, you know, keeping you out of God's presence. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Woo! Whoa! Let's talk about that. And so, if you want God's presence in your life, people that, that want God's presence are those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. So one way to keep the presence of God strong in your life, get this, is to hate sin. 
Well, I thought we weren't supposed to hate nothing. Well, I don't hate any person, but Proverbs 8.13 says that those who fear the Lord hate sin. They hate evil. And so there's not a, and I can say that with all sincerity, you may think I'm joking, but I promise you there is not one human being in this world that I hate. Not one human that I hate. Not one. But I do hate wicked because I see that it is such an opposite, an antonym of God, and it goes against everything that he is. And so to keep the presence of God in my life, I can't be snuggled up to flagrant sin. It's just the truth. And nobody wants to hear that. But hey, you know this. We live in a time when we're told to celebrate sin and love it and take pride in our sin, right? And if you don't, then you're just a terrible person. You're awful if you don't celebrate it. Well, that's really opposite of what the scripture says. And I'm telling you that if you're snuggled up to that and you're welcoming that and loving that, you will not operate in the presence and in the power of God. And so hold your spot, okay? Hold your spot because we are coming back. But New Testament, 2 Peter 2, 7 through 8. 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8. Who's with me still? All right. Now, hey, I realize this isn't a jumping and shouting message, but we're just going through the scripture. So second Peter two, and we're going to look at verses seven and eight. Now, in Bible college, I had you had to give up and give sermons in front of all your peers. And that may sound like a lot of fun, but I assure you it's not. And so, because <laughs> they're allowed to grade you, then they ha- they have to grade you, and uh, and you know they're allowed to point out what you did wrong and stuff. So anyway, uh, my first time I had to give up and give a sermon to the well, you know, to my group. I remember I preached on some of this, but my teacher told me you've got to include a New Testament scripture, so she docked me some points. So for that reason tonight, I am making sure that I include New Testament scripture with this. All right. So, amen. And she's a good lady. Uh, I just saw they've got one of her devotions on the Bible app now. So I thought that was pretty cool. She's a really cool lady. But anyway, so what we're talking about here is if you want the presence of God in your life, you're going to have to get real and, and realize that, hey, we don't hate anybody, but there is, I, I don't love sin and I don't welcome that and I don't celebrate that. And I'm not going to snuggle up to that and wonder why, man, I wonder why these things happen to me. Golly, Gomer, I wonder why, you know, golly, I'm tithing and stuff's happening and, and this is happening. And well, listen. If you are welcoming things into your life, it's going to uh, cancel out some of the other stuff. All right. And so second Peter two, seven, eight is talking about a man named Lot. Have you ever heard about Lot? OK, Lot is in the Old Testament. He's Abraham's nephew and he is surrounded by a perverse and nasty society. And he was surrounded by it, but he did not welcome it. He did not celebrate it, and he did not let it get to his heart. But on the contrary, uh, the King James says it vexed his righteous soul. And as we'll see in the, in the NLT here, it words a little bit different. But Second Peter 2, verse 7, it says, But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a what? Righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So he was surrounded by it, right? Where he lived, it was all around him, but he protected his soul. He protected his heart. So you see, verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials 
even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of judgment. And you're probably like, man, I came to get encouraged tonight. I didn't expect all this stuff. This is the word of God. And I'm trying to tell you how to keep the presence of God in your life. Because believe me, sister, you need it. Believe me, brother, you need the presence of God more than you ever have before. So even though you may be surrounded by what the Psalm 15 called flagrant sin, you can guard your heart from it. All right. So it says, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of judgment. But look at verse 10. He's especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. All right. So here you go. I would say uh, unpopular opinion, but it's not my opinion. So I'm going to say unpopular truth for you. Okay. This is not my opinion. It's the Bible that God judges sexual sin even harder. And Corinthians also backs me up on that. But a lot of people, um, um, this isn't my point tonight, so I won't go all into that. But a lot of people like, man, all sin's exactly the same. It's just, it's just, and really all sin is bad. All sin separates you from God. But I'm telling you now, not all sin is equal. And that's a lie from the devil. A little kid stealing a stick of gum is not the same thing as Saddam Hussein committing mass genocide. Thank you for your silence. All right. And, uh, and you know, it's just just the truth. Some sin has bigger consequences. And, and that's not defending one and making one person to be worse than the other. But the New Testament, even, even Corinthians tells us that sexual sin is a sin against your own body. And also, I would base it off of Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 5 and chapter 6, that it lists a whole bunch of things that says anyone living that sort of lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 John tells us that not every sin leads to death, but there is sin that does lead to death. So if nothing else, clearly some sin is judged at a harsher level and sexual sin is judged at a harsher level. I'm just telling you that right now. All right. And so uh, that's just that's free for you. Be blessed and filled. Have a good night, everybody. I love you. Hey, your my job as a pastor is to tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. Go back to Psalm 15 since we're having such a good time tonight. Praise God. Psalm 15. And so it, it gets it gets interesting here. But what what are these things telling us? It's telling us things that would allow the presence of God to be fully functional in our lives. And it's also telling us things that would hinder and keep the presence of God from fully functioning in our lives, all right? And so let's look here um, at the rest of what we just looked at there, all right? And so notice one thing that it tells us at the end of verse 4 is those who keep their promises even when it hurts. That's very interesting to me. It tells us that if we keep our promises even when it hurts, that opens up the door to the presence of God in our lives. And so if you go around making promises and don't keep them, again, I tell you, don't expect to have God's power in your life. And if you made a promise and it's going to hurt to keep it, you need to keep that promise. Unless you can tell the person, hey, I, at the time, this, and, and so would you release me from that? Then that's one thing. But I caution you on using the word promise. I don't use that word very often 
for one, because my kids call me out on it. Hey, you promised. And so I heard that, man. I don't make very many promises. Even to church people, I, you know, I if I'm going to make a promise, and I said promise, I'm going to keep it even if it hurts. But I'm rarely going to use that word because I don't want to make a promise that later on I can't keep. And I don't want to make, a, you know, just make a, you know, a, a, by the seat of my pants promise when I wasn't thinking clearly and hadn't fully weighed the weight of that word. So someone the other day asked me, hey, can you help us out with this? We need help. And I'm like, I'm not making any promises, but we will try to help you. But this is not a promise. Because when you make a promise, parents, husbands, wives, you better keep that promise. And so I heard Kenny Gatlin, one of our good friends, a lot of you know him, he talked about, he told his son, hey, all right, your birthday, I promise you can get a bike, any bike in the store you want. And at the, he had gone and looked at all the bikes in the store. And when he went, they were, the most expensive bike was a certain price. And so he's like, I promise any bike. And his son's like, you promise? He's like, I promise. So they go to the store and there had been a new shipment of bikes received that were at a much higher price range. And his son picks one of those bikes and he's like, whoa, did not expect that. Now, on one hand, you could stop and say, well, I didn't mean that one, but I appreciate what he did as a dad. Even if if it broke the budget, he said, you know what? I promised you can have that. But yeah, go ahead. You can have that one. And he said, I was more afraid of if my kids think that they can't trust their dad's word, they're going to eventually think that they can't trust their father in heaven's word. Well, my dad lied all the time. He always made these grandiose promises and, and said we could have this stuff and he never kept it. Why would I believe that the Bible means it when it says that? So we, and what's the King James say right there? You swear to your own hurt. Even if it hurts, you keep your promise. Amen. All right. Well, let's look at verse five. Hallelujah. Verse five, it says, those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent, such people will stand firm forever. You want the presence of God in your life? Well, here's another thing. Don't cheat people when it comes to money. I haven't heard of this quite in this church in a long time. Usually, I mean, even when I'm here in the week by myself, it's louder than this. Listen to me. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about that. That's an interesting item to put into this conversation about the presence of God. But I'll tell you this much. When it comes to helping somebody else out with money, what my dad always taught me is just be prepared to give it to them. Right. That way you're not in a situation where like, yeah, hey, I loaned you that money a while back. And also, hey, I'll just tell you that as a Christian, uh, it, if you're going to loan money to a friend or relative, which I probably wouldn't do, but at the same time, if you do choose to do that, you have that right. Don't charge them with interest. Come on, you little weasel. And think like, man, I wonder why God's presence isn't in my life. Hey, I loaned my cousin $500 with 25% interest and he hasn't paid me back. You're a little rat, man. You don't deserve the presence of God in your life. Okay, let's go to chapter 16. Wow. Chapter 16, because 15 was just wonderful. Uh, but I love how he closed that out uh, right there. Is that such people will stand firm forever. All right. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. 
Yeah, you guys liked the 23rd Psalm a lot better, didn't you? Be honest. All right. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. He says, keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. And that's the heart of a worshiper. That's the heart of a thankful person right now. I love that attitude when somebody could say, you know what? Every good thing I have comes from God. And I appreciate, you know, earning things by the sweat of your brow. I appreciate good old hard work. That is awesome. That's biblical. We got to have it. But the holy person, the wise person, even if they busted their rear end to earn that and make that and get that, at the end of the day, they say, every good thing I have comes from God. Yeah, I worked for that. Praise God. But God's the one that woke me up that day. God's the one that gave me the strength and the intelligence and the air in my lungs to breathe while I worked for it. Every good thing I have comes from the Lord. Do you believe that tonight? Look at verse three. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. And I could go on that one for a long time, friends, that listen to me. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. That is why I emphatically do not look up to or really respect any stupid Hollywood celebrity there. I said it and I don't take it back. All right. I mean, come on. People looking up to these godless people like sure she can sing, but she's dirty and filthy. I mean, sure. You know, he can hit a baseball 600 feet. That's incredible. But that makes him a hero. That means I want to be just like him. Not a chance that I mean, I'm just I'm being real. If you want heroes, David here, I mean, here's a guy that he was manly. He was powerful. He was rich. He was incredible. He was on top of the world, but he didn't say, you know who my heroes are? It's this warrior in the army over here who could, you know, he had warriors that could kill a couple hundred men with their own bare hands. You know, look at second Samuel. He had some warriors in his ranks that we would say, oh man, that guy's a hero. He talks about one of his guys one day chased a lion through the snow into a pit and killed the lion with his bare hands. David knew some heroic men, but David said, the godly people of the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. If you want some heroes, don't look to Hollywood. I mean, come on, look around for some Christian people. There's heroes in this room. There's heroes in here who have fought the good fight of faith to get healed from cancer, to, to restore marriages, to get financial miracles, to, to raise children. There's heroes in this room. There's more heroes probably in this little room than all of Hollywood. Now I realize I should be preaching this to the youth group because uh, the people they look up to sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, are you familiar with the term influencer? Anyway, okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'll, st- I'll stop. I'll stop. Uh, but I'm just saying some people, yes, they are definitely have influence, but it's for no apparent reason. Just because you're pretty, just because you're handsome and have washboard abs. I mean, I don't like to brag, but hey, you know, when you got them. <laughs> but anyway, just because <laughs> just because you got it, that doesn't mean you're a hero. That doesn't mean you're a hero. It just means you know how to do crunches, but maybe you should go learn how to read the Bible. All right. And so let's go away from that and go to verse four. 
Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. And so, again, this should be apparent to us. But if you're chasing after other gods, such as money, pleasure, popularity, or maybe some other whatever god, that will not fix anything in your life. And on top of that, chasing other gods, that won't just add to your trouble. It will multiply your trouble. If you think you've got problems now, start chasing down money to be your God and try to fix it. You're not just going to have four problems. You're going to have 16 problems. It's going to multiply itself when we chase after other gods to fix things. Look at verses 5 and 6. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. Oh my gosh, look at that. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. And so think about that. You know, maybe someone's like, man, I, 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 I don't have any inheritance coming or, or this or that or, you know, these people over here are so lucky they got a big inheritance when their grandpa died, you know, whatever, that, good for them. But God is my inheritance. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need right there. And yeah, it's a great thing to leave an inheritance, but when the Lord is your inheritance, your cup of blessing, he guards all that is yours. And, and, and what's that inheritance, man, that's salvation, that's provision, that's health, that's protection. When the Lord is your inheritance, look at verses seven and eight, verses seven and eight. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. Now, verse seven holds a very important key that I would say any success I've had in life, a lot of it is traced back to verse seven right here. And you're like, well, I don't see anything too deep in that. You realize that it says, David realized this, that even at night, even when I'm asleep, my heart, what, what, and I've told you this a million times, so I really hope you know the answer. What is heart synonymous with? What other word? Heart and spirit are the same thing in scripture, unless it physically is talking about your heart, but heart and spirit, right? It says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Well, even at night, your heart or your spirit is still awake and instructing you because we know this as a human, you're three parts. And so even as your body lays down and goes to sleep, your spirit is wide awake and your spirit can still be taking in the word of God while your body is getting the sleep that it needs. And so every single night, and I'm glad my wife's on board with this because that could get weird. But every single night, we always, and I'm telling you, 365 days a year, go to sleep listening to either the audio Bible, but most of the time preaching, usually by Kenneth Hagin. And so I take this so seriously that when I camp in the woods, I've got downloaded things that I want to listen to even when I have no cell signal. And so even if I'm in a tent miles out into the woods, I go to sleep with the word of God playing all night long. Because my body, my, you know, these ears probably aren't necessarily hearing it. 
But on the inside of me, my spirit's saying, amen. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah, preach it. Come on. Yeah, my spirit is hearing it all night long. And man, I'll tell you this right now. I sleep really, really good. I don't have any problem sleeping. And and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying it's the word of God. I don't have nightmares. I used to. I never have nightmares. I don't have bad dreams. I, I sleep incredibly and uh, all night long. My spirit is hearing the word of God, man. It's just, it's just receiving from Jesus all night long. Now, I mean, hey, you don't have to do that, but I'm just trying to give you some advice that has helped me a lot in my life. And, and your spirit, David caught on to it because he knew even at night, my heart is awake and it's instructing me and, and it's receiving. Woo! What a good promise. Yeah. Now I'm getting happy. All right. Let's look at verses nine through 10, nine and 10. We're almost there, people. Verse nine. No wonder my heart is glad. Yeah. And I rejoice. My body rests in safety. Yeah. It rests in safety. My body does great because my spirit's doing good. Now, verse 10 is a messianic prophecy. Now, in your Bible, if you've got a center reference column, you may have a little star, you may have a little uh, letter or a number there, and it'll probably link this to Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 28. Now, maybe your Bible doesn't have references, but mine does. And so, this uh, this verse here, and if you were to go to Acts 2, 25 on your own time, uh, you'll see that it is verbatim this, but uh, this is prophesying Jesus. And so it says, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. And so uh, we knew that, hey, Jesus died. Yeah, his body was laid in the tomb. His soul, it, we, hey, he, he went and he fought the devil and he got the keys to death, hell and the grave. But he did not allow his Holy One to rot in the grave. Jesus was resurrected. Can we get an amen? amen. All right. Verse 11. And then David closes it out like this. You will show me the way of life. Check it out. Granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Now notice I told you that chapter 15 and 16 all tie in together. Verse 1 of chapter 15 talked about God's presence. And this last verse of 16, it talks about the joy of his what? Presence. And in fact, your King James says in his presence is the fullness of joy. Now, there's not a lot of joy in this world right now. Have you seen that? That there's the people angry. There's people mad. There's people fighting. There's people depressed. There's people whatever. There's just not a lot of joy in this world. And so right now, if a Christian has the joy of the Lord, they really stand out more than ever before. And so right now, if I were to just simply light a match in this building, it may be like, okay, that's a little bit of light, but it's not going to do a whole lot to brighten up the room because the room's already bright. But if you've ever been in this building in the middle of the week with all the lights off, 
it is nearly a cave. There are no windows except way back there. And so if you come in here from the bright desert sun, anyone else? I mean, I do it like all the time, but you come in here, it's really close to being like a cave. And so what I'm saying is if I were to light a match at that point, it would nearly light up this entire, you'd be like, whoa, that match is powerful. That one little light, it really shines bright right now because light shines brightest in the darkness. And so right now, the world is dark. It's depressed. It's gloomy. It's angry. It's in a terrible place. But if you've got the joy of the Lord, you're going to stand out. And people, what are you smiling about? Man, I have been in his presence and in his presence is fullness of joy. And you may someone be like, I just wish I had a little bit of joy. Hey, I don't wish I had a little because I've got the fullness of joy. My cup runneth over. I don't have just a little bit. I've got more than enough. I've got the joy of the Lord and it is my strength. Can somebody say amen tonight? Amen. And so as we close out, I'll invite you to stand up with us this evening. But praise the Lord. What we have just looked at is talking about having the presence of God in your life. And we've seen several things out of 15 right there that tell us things that would push God's presence away. And we've seen several things that would welcome the presence of God in our life. And so as a Christian, there's no need for you to not have God's presence. There's no need for you to, you know, be angry all the time and, and, and bitter and rotten and mad at everybody. And, and I mean, just all these negative things, there's no need for you to be like that. You need to have the presence of God. And so what we've just looked at is several things that will welcome that or hinder that. But you need to know this, that when you are in his presence, in his presence is fullness of joy. I never leave uh, a time of being in God's presence or, or, you know, the Bible or worship or praying in the spirit. I never leave that without joy or worse off than I was before. I always leave better than when I entered, right? And so we want his presence in our lives every single day. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to ask my prayer team to come up. Leah, Chuck, you want to join me? If you're here tonight and you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. And we'd love to see uh, God work in your life. And so if you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to agree with you and have the Lord work in your life. Amen. Let my heart want for nothing. But you, just you, let my heart want for nothing but you, just you. The riches of this world could never satisfy, let my heart want for only. For me, for me, only Jesus, for me, for me, only Jesus, for me, for me, only Jesus, for me, 
for me. out in prayer tonight. Trust everybody has been blessed for, through our verse-by-verse <laughs> teaching on 
Psalm 15 and 16. Amen. Well, remember that this weekend is going to be baptisms. So uh, come on, be here to celebrate these uh, that are getting baptized. And uh, if you haven't been baptized, I, I think it's a great time for you to do it. Amen. So with that being said, let's go ahead and close out in prayer tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for what we have seen in your word. And God, we know that, hey, it's a lot to look at, every single verse right there. But we realize that we need your presence in our lives more than ever, God. We need to be closer and closer to you. And if there's anything that would push us further away from you, we don't want it, God. We, we, we do not want it. And so help us, as we've seen all this in your word tonight, to receive your word and not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. We thank you. You are a good and gracious and merciful father. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? All right. Let's speak some faith over Barstow tonight. Hallelujah. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved. In Jesus' name, amen. We 